WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart. The Oscars are just four days away, and Nobel Prize laureate Kazuo Ishiguro's film Living is nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. The star of the film, Bill Nye, is also up for an Academy Award for Best Actor. And his role is compelling. The script is based on a 1959 Japanese film, Ikiru, by Akira Kurosawa. Ishiguro adapted the film specifically for Bill Nye. Set in 1950s England, the story follows a longtime widower, Mr. Williams, who heads a stagnant town planning department unable to get much done in the aftermath of World War II. Mr. Williams is stagnant, too, with little enthusiasm for anything. His young colleagues call him Mr. Zombie. But then a shocking terminal diagnosis jolts Mr. Williams into action. He drinks. He spends money. He befriends a former younger female colleague and wonders if he can spend his final days doing something good, building a playground some locals have long wanted. The Guardian says living is, quote, a gentle, exquisitely sad film. Actor Bill Nye and screenwriter and executive producer Kazuo Ishiguro joined me in studio to talk about the film just before it was released. I began our conversation by asking Bill how the idea for this movie was conceived over dinner and drinks. Let's take a listen to the conversation. That's correct. I went for dinner with Stephen Woolley, the great English film producer, and his wife, uh, Elizabeth Carlson, equally distinguished. And the other guests were Ish and his wife, Lorna. And at the end of dinner, they suggested that they knew what my next film should be. And I said, when you're ready, let me know. And it (laughs) turned out to be this project. So maybe I was very good in a previous life. Ish, you decided that you were only going to watch the original one time, is that correct? And then write the script. Um, When did you decide this was going to be the best approach for you? Well, I should make clear that when you say that, it's kind of true, but I had grown up with this movie. You know, from around the age of of 10 or 11, this movie had Mm. obsessed me. Um, But I hadn't actually seen it for about maybe as long as 30 years, you know, uh, when this whole thing came up again. Uh, so I thought, okay, I'll watch it just once, and then whatever's in my head, whatever's in my heart, you know, is what I'll use. Uh, I'm not going to do a thing where I just refer very closely mm-hmm. to to the original movie, you know, um, uh, because it was very important for me that on the one hand it was going to be a a pretty faithful adaptation of, a, of something I, I had always treasured, but on the other hand I wanted it to be our movie, you know, so we were going to bring something fresh to it. And for me, the the idea that Bill Nye would be at the centre of it was really the the key to how ha- in what way it it will become different. And Bill was going to be the gateway into this whole other world of Englishness, mm-hmm. um, in which this 
old Japanese story w- would now take place. That's interesting that you had the sort of the the muscle memory of the film from when you just loved it as as a viewer versus someone who is about to engage with it creatively. Did you could you tell what was different about the two ways you thought about the film versus the way you watch it as a fan, as a young person, and then now as a screenwriter? Well. See, I, I don't usually adapt things. This was my first real experience of mm-hmm. adapting things. Of course, some people spend their whole lives you know, adapting books to films or a film to another film. I've never done it before, and it's a very kind of schizoid kind of experience. I mean, you really have to... You're, you're kind of split into two. You know, there, there's an instinct to just revere the original and want, you know, more or less do it exactly the same. But then there's no point. Artistically, you know, that, that's a completely redundant thing to do. Mm. And, then, and then there's another part of you that becomes kind of like a, uh, something very ruthless and, and rather chilly that, mm. th- that looks at this material you loved and, and you say, look, that, all of that would have to go. You know, that just isn't good enough. That has to change. Which is weird, because as I say, this is a movie that I have loved. Not only loved, but I think it shaped the way I, I looked at the world as I was growing up. You know, it, was that, it was that deep in me. And yet, that's what you have to do uh, to, to create something that's worth creating again. You know. Bill, what was your relationship with the original film? I had no relationship with the original film until this project was suggested. I did, did then watch the film, and I admired it tremendously. And uh, I suppose in retrospect, I should have been more daunted by the the idea. But in fact, I don't think I was, um, partly because the central performance, although marvellous, was not something I identified with in terms of anything I might deliver. So I figured we were in a different kind of area and that I was not oppressed by it. Um, but, uh, mm. but, you know, but it was uh, a fascinating uh, pr- idea. Ish, and then Bill, you could as- answer this as well. The film is set in the aftermath of World War II. How is that context important for understanding Mr. Williams? Shall I go first? Yeah. <laughs> you go first. Well, I suppose you know, somebody else might have said, oh, let's set it in the present. You know, uh, But um, I've, I felt it was very much the original movie, you know, the Kurosami, was very much about rebuilding a new society after it's been smashed to pieces by World War Two. Not just smashed to pieces in terms of infrastructure and economically, but just socially. You know, all mm-hmm. the values that people ha- had held dear um, uh, in Japan uh, had been shown to to be, well, in many cases, just downright not not just wrong but evil. You know, um, so not not in quite such a drastic way, but on a parallel way. In you know, the British. Uh, you know, Britain had reached a point in its kind of history as the as the middle as the centre of this huge world colonial um, empire, mm-hmm. when that was all going out of date, and there was a class system that everyone felt had to be at least moderated, if not abandoned, and and the Second World War came at a point when it, it allowed people to say, look, if we're going to have to rebuild. And everything is broken and smashed up, and we're impoverished. Let's build a better society, and so that dimension is kind of important for me. And I felt it was important to show just ordinary people, just you know, ordinary guys working in offices, um, who had this terrible burden of expectation and responsibility placed mm. on their shoulders. They had to actually, uh, re- you know, rebuild the country, fulfil people's dreams about you know what what a post-war world post. 
war mm-hmm. world will be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so for me, that that is an important aspect of of the story. Bill, how about for you, for your your creation of Mr. Williams? Well, I don't know about for the creation of the character, but well, I do. I, it, it, it was certainly informed by that, and the fact that I was born into that time. I would have been one of those kids in the playground, mm-hmm. and I, you know, my parents, like everybody else's parents, were coming out of a, a, a dreadful period of trauma, and I was born into that atmosphere, and I'm, you know, very familiar with um, with the way in which people conducted interacted in the, in that time in a very extremely in a very formal and uh, what what is now called repressed manner and i find it fascinating and i um and i uh, and you know that period was it, it was it, it preceded a very progressive time in mm-hmm. england you know some of the the, mo- the most uh, you know wonderful developments uh, came out of that time when people were rebuilding and they and they included the National Health Service and the, the education of the sons and daughters of the working class. And, and, uh, and the class system was exposed uh, to some degree. And I, I came of age into a wave of feminism. So it was, you know, it was a, you know, there are now forces at work trying to drag us back to an imaginary time when apparently everything was fabulous. Well, let's, you know, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. But anyway, but as for the character, yeah, I mean, I'm. I, I, I knew men of that kind and, and I, I went to work with people of that kind when I was young and not when I say of that kind I mean people who had that who were uh, still operating under that kind of very strict formality and it's fascinating to me My guests are Bill Nye and Kazuo Ishiguro we're talking about their film Living which will be in theaters on December 23rd Bill, I was curious about uh, your work with your director on finding Mr. Williams' speaking voice and also finding his the, the way he physically moves through yeah. the world. Yeah, I, I, that's a very good question, to which, which I don't really know the answer. But, um, I, I mean, I did work very closely with Oliver Hermanus, who's our terrific director who's who's done a, an, an incredible job on this movie. And can I just say the Guardian remark, or rather review, which says exquisitely sad, it's not untrue, but also, the, you know, uh, it, it's been, it, the film has been released uh, back home in the UK for a while now, for two, three or four weeks, and, and I, my phone has been on fire from people who've been to see it. It's, you know, you know you're in a hit when you hear from people that you haven't heard from for 25 years, <laughs> or people you were at school with, you know. And the, and their response is almost uniform, which is that they come out of the cinema and they want to. They are galvanised. It's inspiring. They want to get things mm-hmm. done. They want to. They look at the clock. They they don't want to waste any more time. So it's a, it's a it's a kind of insp- inspirational film, as well as being obviously a tragic, basi- basically a tragedy. I, I'd underline that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I think it's very easy to, relatively easy to make sad films. You know, or, or sad, tell sad stories. You know, I, you know, I could make one up right now in front of you about a family dog that that defends the family. You know, when, when they're attacked by burglars and 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 what's, spends what's ninety minutes dying. Yeah, that, that's, your that's, agent is writing this down is rapidly. Going to make people, I mean, it's very, but to as you say, Bill. I mean, to to create a movie and a performance. You know, Bill creates the performance because mm. you know, Bill is at the centre of this. To, to to do something where people are moved in this very complex way. They don't know if they've been if they're sad or if they're if if they're exhilarated by the celeb- no, the sheer celebration of of humanity you know it's a triumphant film uh, while at the same time being sad and i think that's a very difficult thing to achieve you know that to to move people to tears and they don't quite know why um and you know i i think i think you know oliver did a fantastic job as directing and i i think 
and Bill's performance does that. You know, you don't quite know why why you're in tears at the, at, at the end, or but, maybe but you, you do are. know why because you recognize yourself having wasted yeah. a moment or wasted a time or yeah. just I'm going to kill half an hour as opposed to. I could do something with this half an hour of time. I think that seems to be the case that everyone, young or old, they do, um, and and from whatever background, they do identify in in a big way. And they are, as I say, galvanized by it. So when we're first introduced to Mr. Williams, it's not from his point of view. We're introduced to him through the eyes of his colleagues who ride with him in the train every morning and they sit behind giant stacks of paper at their office. Um, Why did you want to introduce Mr. Williams to the audience this way? Um, I, I, for me, it's important that there's a sense of the younger generation. Um, the original Kurosawa doesn't ha- it doesn't have such an emphasis on on the the next generation that could possibly, you know, potentially inherit something from any good examples that Mr. Williams's generation uh, might might set forth. So that's one of the big differences between probably the original one and and, and, and our, our movie I, I introduced some young characters and had a kind of a love story um, mm-hmm. and so there's a there's maybe a sense that um, all right you know mr. Williams ends up um, with a with a maybe a, a modest but really significant significant triumph you know um, is that going to go somewhere is that going to set some sort of piece it, it, you know would that inspire people or not well um, probably it's not. Gonna, it's not going to change an institution. It's not going to turn around a stagnant, stifled institution around. You know, just one man's contribution like that. But maybe you know, maybe it, there'll be a few individuals who mm-hmm. remember that, um, and and they'll take that with them in, into their careers and their lives. So, so that that aspect was important. So I framed the story uh, with with these kind of younger people who are working in, in that bureaucracy. After Mr. Williams gets his diagnosis bill, he is drawn to one of these younger former colleagues, this young woman named <coughs> Margaret, and they start spending time time together. Um, what does Mr. Williams see in Margaret that keeps drawing him to her? I think that her vivacity, her vibrancy, excuse me, <coughs> Do you need a glass of water? I'm fine. Thank okay. you, no. Okay. Um, is, uh, is deeply attractive to him. And, he, and she's straightforward and frank and honest and mm-hmm. plain speaking. And, um, and all of... And, and he, which is something... Which is kind of... He, she is kind of the opposite. He, she operates in, in the opposite way that he does. And the combination of a disastrous diagnosis and then meeting this incredibly uh, vibrant young person with who has uncomplicated an uncomplicated response to the world is what triggers him to uh, eventually to try and find some meaning in his life um, and also it's that thing I think you know of um, you know what we we pay therapists uh, for you know not to be a member of our family mm-hmm. you know what I mean or not to be in our close circle and you can confide in a stranger in a way that you can't so there's an element of that as well Let's listen to a clip from the film Living. This is from when Mr. Williams and Margaret are having lunch together. Mr. Williams, if you promise, and I mean really promise to not get angry, I'll tell you my secret nickname for you. (laughs) I promise. You really mustn't get cross. 
It's not just you. I have them for everyone. Only I know about them and my cousin, Rosemary, who I share rooms with. I see. For instance, Mr. Rusbridger. I call him the hover man. Or because he just hovers his pen over the page with the intention of doing work, but never actually doing work. <laughs> and Mr. Hart. Well, I call him the confused chimney because he's constantly smoking and constantly bewildered. <laughs> Have you seen his eyebrows? Mr. Rusbridger on my desk. Doesn't have a clue. It's very good. All right, this time, I'll say the name and you have to guess who it is. It's on the fourth floor. Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar? Wow. I suppose that would be... Uh, Mr. Brown in accounts. Correct! <laughs> <laughs> that is from the film Living. Bill, what does Mr. Williams learn from the members of this younger generation, from Margaret to Mr. Wakeling to the, the gentleman he has the night out with? Um, I think he learns to... I, I think the thing... I always considered him to be somebody who was institutionalized in grief, having lost his wife at a very early stage. And his whole uh, response to the world, his personality, his behavior, his... Um, has had been has formed around that that it's like coral forming around a mm. floor in the rock, and and he's become isolated by it, and uh, and I think he learns from Miss Harris. Uh, he, he's he's in he's emboldened. He's, she gives him the courage to open up, and he actually talks to someone plainly for probably for the first time. For you know, years mm -hmm. and years, he doesn't seem to have that relationship with his son, and his son has been kind of estranged from him due to his marriage to some degree. And there's no evidence that he has a kind of um, that he can he can confide in his son. So I think she's the first person he's probably ever spoken to honestly for a long time, and he's learnt perhaps that to be he's 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 learned to be courageous and to you know and to and to think positively and uh and to tr and to defy the uh, the restrictions that he's placed upon himself and that the world has placed upon him within the co in the context of the institution and he's prepared to defy his boss for mm -hmm. instance and to uh, and to push through and make something happen having dedicated his life to an institution which is designed to prevent things from happening you, you said the word courageous, and that's interesting. So was he, Mr. Williams, isolated and out of fear? Out of fear and grief, and I should imagine there's a degree of anger, hmm. having uh, lost his wife. And as he says to Miss Harris, you know, I wasn't always like this, which is a, a you know a very common and plaintive remark mm. uh, you know that there was a time and he in other words when his wife was alive there was a time when he wasn't what she describes as Mr. Zombie and that he had a normal and healthy response to the world around him but he'd become uh, uh, you know he'd become estranged from himself yeah can I just say that in, sure. in that in that extract you just played uh, we never got to pro probably the you know like the punchline there uh, she was about to tell 
Mr. Williams what his nickname was. And as Bill said, mm-hmm. him, devastatingly for him, he discovers that his office nickname is Mr. Zombie. Mm. And I think it it's, suddenly it strikes him that maybe there is there is some justification for this. You know. um, but but it, um, in, a, you know, in addition to what Bill just said, I'd, uh, I'd say that it is very much a, a movie and a story about work and the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and along with all those things like you know, grief, for his beloved wife who's gone and all these other things. I think there's also just the daily grind um, of, of this kind of office life where, where people aren't sure anymore. Nobody in those offices can make what they do day by day connect with anything in the real world or with real people. They're just overwhelmed with paper and bureaucracy. They take things to, to something down the corridor, it comes back. They've, they've lost track a long time ago about how their little contribution fits into anything bigger in the real world and how it touches real human lives. Uh, and that's also what, you know, you know, day after day, year after year of this has, has actually helped to make Mr. Zombie, Mr. Zombie, I guess. You know. And that's, that's one of the things that he identifies as something that he's got to reverse. In listening to you both talk about it, I thought for a moment, okay, so if he was, if he did live life in color beforehand, and then he's been living life in black and white since the death of his wife, so it's probably about half his life in each in each camp, and then he gets to decide in the last bit of it what he's going to do with that last little coda of his life, and he decides to engage. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think there's a crucial difference in our story okay. uh, between uh, w- between our story on the one hand and say Christmas Carol on the other, where the assumption you know where Christmas Carol tends to say, look, you know, if you realise that your life is just pathetically empty, you, know, you have to change yourself overnight into somebody else completely different. Um, uh, now that that's very inspirational in some kind of way, but it's. Quite honestly, it's not really going to happen you know, to most people. <laughs> it's it's not a practical suggestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what what I what I loved about your original Kurosawa, and, and and this is you know I think Bill and Oliver expressed and and the rest of the team expressed this so well in 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 our in our movie. It basically says something. I I think I think more profound. It says, look, all right, you've been dealt a fairly humble hand by by life. Yeah. And you're not going to change yourself now. You know, you are who you are, and you live in the world that you do, which might be a stifling, limiting world. But you can still look around this tiny world and make it make a supreme effort. And just by making that effort, it's possible. Maybe it's possible to flip it and to turn a, a shallow, empty life into something heroic and magnificent and fulfilled. Um, that that's the kind of the if you like. I hate this word message, but if you like, that's the kind of message of living. And that's why the movie is called Living. And, um, you know, and I, I think that's, that's why, you know, as Bill was saying earlier, why, why the reaction has been, oh, you know, I'm really moved and I'm really kind of crying about something, not quite sure why, because it's not, it's not a straightforward sadness, you know. You know, there's been so much discussion in the film industry about the small movie, which has got to compete against the big blockbuster, the Marvel. Some of these are, are quite fabulous and great to watch on the, on the big screen. Um, if you could encourage someone to see the smaller, quieter films on the big screen, 
instead of, say, waiting to watch it at home. Bill, what would you say? How would you, why would you tell someone it's really good to see small, quiet films in the theatre? Well, I probably, with all due respect, wouldn't use the word quiet, only because words like gentle and quiet, I'm not going to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like the other word is, el, el, uh, what's that word? Elegiac? Elegiac, yes. Yeah, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going to go. I'm going to probably wait for that to come on Netflix. Do you know what I mean? Oh, you're funny. Uh, so I wouldn't say those. I mean, I cannot, you know, I can't. I can't, you know, nobody carries a gun in this movie. Nobody takes their top off. I did offer to take my top off, but they said, please, can you put it back on? <laughs> um, so I can't promise you any of those kind of thrills. But, uh, you know, it's a powerful film. I mean, all films are the same size. You know, how the budget is no one's concern. Uh, the publicity machine, obviously, you're, you know, is uh, an important factor. Award, you know, that's why independent films depend so largely on awards, because that's free publicity. Um, but, uh, I, you know, they are all the same size, and this is a powerful film, um, and, it's, uh, and it is inspirational. I don't, I don't want to put myself in the position where I'm trying to sell you something. I am here to sell you something, but it's not like I don't want to do any kind of hard selling. The film kind of sells itself, um, and uh, there's room for everybody, you know, and there's plenty of room for films that tell you how bad things can get and how bad people can be. And, you know, and I, you know, I like all kinds of movies, particularly sports movies that go into slow motion at the end. But, you know, this is uh, not one of those. But it's, uh, it was number one across the nation in, uh, in, the, in the so-called United Kingdom, you know, for a while. So, you know, that's not bad for a film about this old guy that, you know, apparently is going to die soon. Yeah, I think people people love spectacle and you know big wide screen. I, I do too. I, I, too. You know, I love these big movies, but there are times when you know what I want to get in the cinema is, is like a huge ton of emotion you know, hitting me. Yeah, and and I, I guess what you call quieter movies. I mean, I I agree. But, you know, they're they're not quiet. There's nothing quiet about having a ton of emotion hit you. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have you're kind of embarrassed in case the person next to you sees that you're crying. I mean. Um, but um, that's also something I, I crave when I when mm. I watch a movie. I've had you know you know rational educated people say stuff like you know a guy said to, a writer said to me two days ago I'm not the same person since I saw your film and people talk in those terms big stuff you know mm. and they're not drunk and uh, you know they are apparently you know sane. That was my conversation with actor Bill Nye and screenwriter executive producer Kazuo Ishiguro about their film Living. There's more All of It on the way. For our final installment of Big Picture this year, we'll speak with Shirley Karata, costume designer for the Oscar-nominated film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I'm Allison Stewart. I'll meet you right back here after the news. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Z-Biotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com slash WNYC and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.